Okay, can everyone hear me? Great. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm also a professor in the UK, originally from Canada. I'm going to just say something brief about the UK first, and then I'm going to talk more generally uh, uh, some points to, with regards uh, to John's thesis. But just in the UK, just in the last month, and there are those in the room who are, who are in the same, um, the same boat with me, um, I was involved, well, I'm going to be involved in a talk on the 6th of December, uh, which was sort of protested and led to an open letter where hundreds of academics, a number of whom are at my university and people I see in committee meetings, uh, signed this open letter. And so that was kind of an eye-opener. But then also the stuff that was happening on Twitter media, the attempt to get me in trouble with my university and you know, all of these things, I didn't realize that there was this kind of dark underbelly of, of academics, you know, far-left academics kind of styling themselves anti-fascist, uh, allied with radical students. And I think it's, that is the pernicious network that we need to c somehow control. The mass of uh, my academic colleagues are fantastic. Yes, they're mostly on the left, uh, but they do not sort of fall in with these people. So I think we have to make that distinction. How do we control? Who, how do we police the virtue police? How do we police these people who, who want to call everything hate uh, and then want to make the lives of anyone who steps out of line miserable? That's the task I think we need to focus on. I, I just want to talk more generally, though, about uh, John's argument, and I, I completely agree with his book. I'm a huge supporter. I'm a member of Heterodox Academy and all that. Um, I guess my the difference I have is more that I think ideology is in the driver's seat, and I think psychology is, to some extent, just a tool or just an idiom that the underlying driver is a post-1960s ideology, the turn of the left. And so I think what's changed is more a matter of quantity than quality. I mean, you can look at a number of incidents, and I have these in my book. 1968, San Francisco State University. Black students take over the university administration, demand 20 black studies posts, 10 ethnic studies posts. They strike for a year. They want a Black Panther member who assaulted the student newspaper editor to be set. I mean, actually stuff which is probably above and beyond even what we've seen recently. 1975, the, uh, David, or James Coleman, a famous sociologist, is giving a speech about how busing is leading to white flight. People are on stage wave, waving racist placards. And, and you, so you see a lot of the same things. It's just maybe not as frequent. The 80s and 90s, and of course, we're kind of the third wave of political correctness. You know, the first wave, it was, it was people like Daniel Bell and, uh, you know, the original neoconservatives were writing against it. Then you had... Um, Alan Bloom, Closing of the American Mind. And what he was talking about, I think we're seeing a different iteration of that. But I see it as part of the same set of ideas. It's a bit like religious fundamentalism in the US. You had the tent revivalists in the, in the late 19th century. Drink was the big crusade in the 1920s. Then it became abortion. So there are these different waves. You've got the Great Awakenings. Um, you've got the moral majority. You have these different upsurges. And I think we see that also with political correctness in the new left. And we're in one of those right now. But I would say the underlying ideology is the problem. And, and that ideology is, number one, sacralization of group equality and diversity as sacred values which must be pushed to their extreme. No, you cannot argue against these sacred values. Second, an anti-intellectual emotional style, occupation and protest rather than discussion and evidence opposition to quantitative, any kind of generalization. And third, a focus on totemic categories 
race, sex, and gender. That was certainly there in the 80s and 90s. Even though the buzzwords have changed, yes, we're talking about fragility. We're talking about you know, therapeutic lingo, and, and we're talking about um, uh, microaggressions and so on. I still think the underlying dri drivers, the religion, as with religious fundamentalism, yes, there are the great awakenings, but underneath it all lies a problematic ideology which needs to somehow be pushed back towards a more moderate point of view, much as occurred, by the way, with socialism, which is now moderate in a social democracy. The cultural form of the left has not been checked. It's sort of out of control in many ways in the high culture. Um, and I would just say, in terms of the psychology, I mean, we don't see white people, males, uh, evangelicals, or Mormon, Mormons calling for safe spaces or getting them. Um, so I'm not sure that this psychological argument will, will I mean, I, I agree with John. This is interacted in a way and made it worse, but I think the driver is, is a, is a post-1960s ideology and that more than anything else. And the other, the last point I'm going to make, which is germane to my book, which is that in softer and milder form, this ideology has permeated into some of the elite institutions, the political and economic institutions. So for example, one of the drivers of the populist right, particularly in the United States, but also in Sweden and Germany, was an inability to have a conversation about immigration levels. And one of the reasons for that is that racism in particular, the meaning of racism expanded to include discussing immigration, particularly in the US case, reducing legal levels of immigration or talking about illegal immigration as your central campaign issue. Trump was the only one of 17 Republican primary candidates that was able to do that, which is why, and the data's all in the book, it's very clear that's why he won the primaries. So the fact that you had a taboo over discussing immigration, which was pushed ultimately by this new left ideology, which in softer form had bled into the political discussion, shut down a debate over immigration. Now, if you shut that down in the mainstream, the only people that can supply what those voters demand are populist entrepreneurs. Exact same thing in Sweden. 2013, the interior minister tried to raise this question of immigration levels, was accused of being racist by the mainstream parties and media. What happens? Sweden Democrats come in in 2014 with 12.5%, and then they, they at some point reached 25%. So nobody is willing to talk about it. Who's going to talk about it? A populist entrepreneur. No one's willing to supply liquor. Who's going to supply it? A bootlegger. So uh, the, the consequences of this is not just on campus, but I think the consequences extend to uh, explaining the rise of right-wing populism as well. Uh, 